Hey, this is Jonathan. Welcome back to the podcast. And you can tell by the smooth sounds of my voice that I am under the weather. But I am back again with Brother Brett Hickey, and I'm thankful for him to finish up this conversation with you about Pharaoh's daughter and God's providence. It's been a wonderful study. And this one, I will tell you, it's about 40 minutes long or so. That's longer than I normally run these episodes. But it was so good that I didn't want to break it up into two different parts. And so we're going to consider Moses, the narrative of him in Pharaoh's house, and what it took to get him there. And through that, seeing God's providence. Let's jump right back into the conversation, shall we? Well, in Exodus chapter 1, we read in verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph. There's a, there's a change in Egypt. No longer are the Hyksos in, in power, but another group has, has defeated them and taken over, and they don't know. They don't care anything about Joseph. The Hebrews, they're a problem. They're a pain, and they are growing as a people population-wise, very rapidly. Verse 11 says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And I think the idea was, we'll just wear them out. We'll just work them to death. But uh, it seemed that that had the opposite effect. They continued to grow. And so panicking over the Hebrews' population growth, Pharaoh orders the Hebrew midwives to kill all the newborn boys. Let the girls live, kill the boys. When that plan failed, reminiscent of Herod's cruelty and brutality Mm -hmm. and what we see really in our United States when it comes to infanticide. Right. The Pharaoh decrees in Exodus 1 verse 22, plan B, every son who is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Mm. And this really provides the inspiration for what we read in Hebrews chapter 11 with the hall of fame of faith. Now, of right. course, when you when I started out studying this passage, Hebrews 11, 23, Moses' name keeps popping up. This is all about Moses. This is all about Moses. But as we dig in and start reading more carefully, we find, wait a minute, yeah. there's some more important characters who aren't even mentioned yeah. by name. And Well, that was going to be my next question was, uh, help me understand the faith of his parents, because that's, you know, they have a king that has decreed that their son's supposed to die and they're going to defy it. That, you know, how, does, how do they do this? How do they demonstrate their faith? There's an issue here. In Hebrews 11, verse 23, it looks like it's uh, all about Moses. By faith, Moses. If you've been reading along in Hebrews, you get uh, by faith and then you get the righteous individual. And then what did they do? But really, it wasn't about Moses yet, really. It was his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child Mm. and they were not afraid of the king's command. The Bible identifies his parents as Amram and Jochebed by name in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. But if you're like me um, and you're asked, separate from a study on this, who are Moses' parents? I'm going to have trouble (laughs) pulling that up. But they're significant. And though they're not mentioned by name, they're example and their influence on Moses is significant. The point of Hebrews eleven twenty three is that by faith, Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, 
didn't care what the king commanded, didn't care what the punishment was. They were going to protect that little boy. The Bible says because they saw Moses was a beautiful child. Mm. Now, don't misunderstand. The thought is not with when Moses was born, if they looked at him and thought, this is kind of a homely baby, (laughs) that uh, they would have just thrown him in the river. Right. That's not at all. And of course, what parent, when they see their child, does Mm -hmm. not know immediately, well, that's the most beautiful looking baby I've ever seen. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. But apparently Moses, or this was interesting to learn, don't know for sure if it's true, uh, Joachim, as Jewish tradition says, his birth parents named him, had a special look to him. There was something about him, not that there was a halo about his head, right? but he just looked, he was a very good looking child, he was very healthy looking, and there was something about it, something about him that really stood out. Hmm. He inherited some great genes. <laughs> Think about it. He lived to be 120 years uh-huh. old. His brother Aaron lived to be 123, and Miriam ended up living somewhere between 127 to 135 wow. years old. And you think about Moses and what he was doing starting at 80 yeah. to lead the Exodus. Now, this he had he had a a healthy DNA profile for sure. Wow. Now, uh the way that his parents demonstrate their faith, you know, going against this great ruler, the edict that he's set for them and, you know, they're going to protect their baby. That kind of has an influence on Moses' faith as well, right? Can you maybe uh, explain how faith influences faith? Yes, no doubt that uh, she must have been a good teacher, Dr. Bed, <laughs> as he said on it, because didn't, she didn't have very long, right? three years, five years, maybe at the most seven years before mm-hmm. Pharaoh's daughter took over, but she was constantly instructing him. And no, no doubt she shared the story of how we didn't know what to do. There was no way we could preserve your life but uh we knew that we had to Mm. and we did we we weren't gonna it didn't mean if if it meant that you know pharaoh killed your brother and sister if it meant that pharaoh killed us as your parents well so be it we're gonna do it we knew it was right they're able to instill with him within him by age five you're a hebrew you're a hebrew you're a hebrew and so even though he'll spend the next uh, 35? How long will it be right, before he... Right, four, yeah, the next okay, 35 so he's years. He's going to spend the next 35 as a prince of Egypt, basically. And yet, those five years, give or take, like you said, could be three, could be seven. But those those pivotal years, man, what, what great training he received. Yes, he must have had a great mind to absorb all of that, to take uh-huh. it in. But he never forgot who he was mm-hmm. and whose he was. Notice what Hebrews 11, verse 24 says. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Mm -hmm. we read that twice, that basic idea in the New Testament. Yeah. And the sermon that the Stephen, the martyr, the martyr Stephen gave in Acts 7, verse 21. The Bible says, but when he, Moses, was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. Mm. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. It's easy to lose sight of the fact, Moses, that was her boy. 
Yeah. Legally, that was her son. She raised him up that way. So he looked at her as a mother, but he also looked to Jochebed as his mother. What a marvel that is. Mm-hmm. And we think about the providence of God. I think about Job 9, where the Bible says, He, God, does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. And the New Testament version, we get in Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, so this is all part of God's plan. But maybe we could look at the specifics of it. Uh, just in, in case there are listeners who are maybe unfamiliar or if they've heard the Hollywood version and they haven't had the chance to consider the biblical version. I know that uh, there's an animated film called Prince of Egypt. Yes. I kind of grew up on that. Sure. And it tells a narrative that's not exactly the same as what the Bible says. Uh, in, the, in the Hollywood version, you know, it's sensationalized. He doesn't even know he's a Hebrew hmm. until he's an adult. And yet the Bible version, which obviously shows the faith of his parents and how it's instilled in him, that's way more meaningful than the the shock value of suddenly, oh, I wasn't Egyptian after all. I was a Hebrew. Right. So uh, maybe we could go specifically to Exodus chapter 2, 1 and 2, and then kind of see this pan out before he gets to Pharaoh's daughter. Sure. And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. John Wesley says, observe the beauty of providence. Just when Pharaoh's cruelty rose to this height, the deliverer was born. Now, he's the third born, right? We've kind of mentioned them already, but there's Aaron and Miriam. How old are these kids? Um, Aaron, we find uh, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 7, is three years old. So he's three years older. Um, Jewish sources say Miriam was as young as five or as old as 15. So we get kind of a, uh, a general idea of how old she is. Right. And you're, you're going to make a point here in a little bit that you think she's probably closer to 15 than to five. But we'll leave that for uh, a little bit later. So he's the third born. Um, he couldn't stay hidden forever. <laughs> no. As you know, all parents know, a baby's not going to be quiet all the time. Yeah, try to keep the try to keep a little one quiet, and maybe that's part of the part of what happened. The Bible says in the Exodus two verse three, when she could no longer hide him, we want to keep our baby safe. We've got to keep him quiet. We don't know exactly uh, what went wrong, why she couldn't hide him any longer, but we know this healthy baby boy, keeping the healthy baby boy happy mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's not going to work out. Maybe there were regular searches that were made in Goshen at the Pharaoh's yeah. order looking for infant males who were crying. And maybe there was a close call that gave mom and dad the idea that we can't keep doing this. We've got to do something different. And so they, in verse three, uh, if I can read it, it says, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him. By the way, I like that phrase. You know, we say basket, but I like it, it says ark, you know, just like yeah, the ark of Noah, the Ark of the Covenant, things that hold precious cargo. Mm-hmm. Uh, daubed it in asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in reeds by the river's bank. 
Now, this isn't uh, just a, a little basket that I might find at Hobby Lobby, is it? No, you know, it's, <laughs> the Bi- reading and studying the Bible is so rewarding. Here I've been preaching, you know, for close to 30 years, uh-huh. and I'm reading these verses, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking, exploring more carefully. I'm like, wait a minute, I've missed something here. Mm. These baskets or this ark that was used was... There was materials that were used that were very effective in uh-huh. providing safety from the water. The Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says, boats of this description are seen daily floating on the surface of the river. Of course, they wrote that decades ago, with no caulking other than Nile mud. And they are perfectly watertight unless the coating is forced off by stormy weather. So mm. when she put them in the water, she said, well hope this will hold up no <laughs> she knew that that was going to keep the water out and uh bulrushes we're familiar with that word but really it's talking about papyrus right and that's where we get the word paper it was a durable material widely used not just for paper though but for making baskets mats ropes and even boats yeah now um I just made a comment about Hollywood earlier, but in Hollywood versions, it's this kind of, we're just going to set them out in the river and see what happens. And, mm. you know, God's providence is then kind of navigating him all the way down the river to Pharaoh's daughter's place. But they were a lot more strategic in the Bible about getting him to Pharaoh's daughter. It seems like they kind of knew what they were doing. Yes, careful planning was absolutely necessary. I mean, we're talking about the Nile River, crocodiles, other animals. <laughs> just You're not just going to float him in the water and we'll, God will protect him. They right. were doing their part to make sure everything uh, went right. That's a good point. Maybe we can talk about a little bit later, doing your part in God's providence versus the, I don't, don't want to say blind trust. That makes sound bad, but. Doing your part in God's providence versus, I guess, awaiting for things to just come into your lap. Yeah, faith involves our action. We got to follow through on our faith by mm-hmm. taking the steps that we can take to make sure everything comes out the way it should. Right, right. But you know, Jochebed didn't just fl- float him down the middle of the river. She laid him in the reeds mm-hmm. by the bank, and not just anywhere in the river. The plan was well thought out, and. Likely, Jochebed or Miriam had spent days, maybe even a week, scouting out where exactly does she go? What time does she get there? Yeah. They knew where and when she would be there Mm -hmm. at the river. Now, part of that plan is that Miriam's going to kind of hang out nearby, right? So that's the point you make in in these notes is that this is why she's probably closer to 15 than 5 because it seems likely that an an older girl's going to be able to follow through with that plan and be trustworthy. Yeah, I just can't imagine the situation as it was was there, the relationship of the Egyptians and the Hebrews as a slave people that uh, Jochebed and Amram would just let their five-year-old daughter wander <laughs> around. That just seems so right. precarious. But um, more likely she was 13, 14, or 15. And also the the delicacy of the situation and how critical it was that she handled it just right, her role was very significant. Now, Miriam, a little later on, is going to provide some big trouble. Yeah. 
for yep, Moses. Right. But um, A plus on the work she does <laughs> at this por- point in his, in the sure. story and in preserving his life. Exodus 2 verse 4 says, And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. So she wasn't just right there. But she, though she was a ways away, she could see what was going on. She could make sure everything was going to be all right. Let me read uh, verse 5 and 6 and uh, ask you a question about it. Mm-hmm. It says, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children, or Hebrews' children. Um, now, she knew it was a Hebrew from the start. Yes. And again, I've made this point a third time now, but maybe it's because my childhood is coming crashing down mm. on Hollywood's version of, <laughs> of yeah. this story, but uh, she's not going to hide it from him, and she's not going to hide it from others. I guess my question is, how does she get this square with the Pharaoh who is saying that all Hebrew boys need to die. Yeah, it was a real problem. And this is why I think God's providence is at work because try to imagine the Pharaoh and th- these, these guys were vicious. Uh-huh. I mean, we sometimes get frustrated with some of our leaders in the United <laughs> States, but yeah. these people, you know, they kill. Right. And if the Pharaoh issues an edict, well, you better not defy that. So I like to think about it this way. In all of Egypt, is there anyone else that could defy his command, mm-hmm. kill him, leave him for dead, throw him in the water and let whatever happened happen to him? Is there anybody but Pharaoh's daughter who could have gotten away with that? Would you like to share the story of your cat? Or is that for yeah. another time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in the spring, I would say uh, May, Okay. there was a storm at the house. And my gang was preparing if they had not gotten into the closet. Tornadoes coming. Uh-huh. And, but as things were starting to subside, uh, Louise and Serena, my wife and daughter, heard a cat. Mm. And it was pretty loud considering that they were on the inside and the right. cat was on the outside. Louise went to the front door and, oh. <laughs> and how frightened the cat must be. And they picked it up and they loved on it. It wasn't a little tiny kitten, but it wasn't full grown either. Right. But they knew that I had already been at my maximum number of animals (laughs) at the house. Right. And so when um, I came home, they brought the cat to me. And before I could say anything, a little bit in shock, we got another animal. (laughs) Louise said, I want you to meet baby Patrick. Oh. And there was a method in in what she was doing there uh-huh. because Patrick is my first name. So she wanted to have a positive association with this additional animal that was being brought in the house. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this is when you study uh, the archaeology and Egyptology and some of the history, there's a difference in what um, some of the um, secular archaeologists say about which pharaoh is this? They try right. to put it like in the 13th century B.C. Uh-huh. was when all of this was taking place. But to fit with the biblical timeline, it really had to be the 15th and most likely the 16th 
century. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that to me is that fits with, there's a bunch of evidence we can't go in today. Sure, sure. But uh, one thing that's interesting to me is the Pharaoh who was believed by biblical archaeologists and other archaeologists to be in power at this time was named Tutmosis. Uh-huh. And the his wife, the mother of the one who's supposed to be the daughter of Pharaoh here, uh-huh. is named Ah-Moses. Mm-hmm. So as she brings Moses back to <laughs> show him, oh, look what I have, and Pharaoh notices, uh, wait a minute. That's a Hebrew. That's a Hebrew, baby. Did you not hear, little daughter? <laughs> they go in the water. They die. Yeah. She could say, look what his name, look who he is. Isn't he cute? His name is Moses. <laughs> now, the Bible says, rightfully so, of course, that she named him Moses because she drew him out of the water. And that's literally what that word means. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it, it might have also been uh, a convenient way for her to try to get this across. Yep. Um, and as a father, um, you know, our little girls do often have us wrapped around their little finger. And maybe there was some argument. Maybe there was some discussion about this. But in the end, his daughter got her <laughs> way. She was spared. Well, I really, spared. I really like that connection you made. Uh, just asking the question, who in the kingdom could get away with a Hebrew boy surviving? And it would have to be his daughter. I got to ask, how's Patrick the cat doing? He's doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> he and the latest addition, Buster, uh, the little puppy at our house, uh, play and wrestle. and. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, um, let's jump back into the story. I think that, that little meandering down that track is helpful to appreciate what's gone on here. I hope others do too. But... Um, at the the point we're at in scripture, she has just seen this baby. She's just drawn him out, and right on cue, what does Miriam do? Miriam says to Pharaoh's daughter, pops up right at the right time. Shall I go and call a nurse for you, and from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Because one of the issues is going to be for this uh, Pharaoh's daughter, who's supposed to be thirteen, fifteen, something of this. Well, I want to take this baby home. He's so cute, but. How can I take care of him? Yeah. Well, Miriam resolves that before she even has to think about that much at all. And Mm -hmm. without hesitation, Pharaoh's daughter said, go. And of course, Jochebed wasn't too far away. She was ready, uh, perspiring nervously, no doubt. She was ready to go. And I wonder, as I read back through the story, there's a lot of details that we don't have, but I wonder, does Pharaoh's daughter see exactly what's going on? Does she know there's a scheme here? And this is all part of a plan to save this one Hebrew baby. Maybe so, but she doesn't mind because yeah. she wants to take this little baby home. Yeah, You know, girls like their little dolls, but this this is far better than any doll. <laughs> I, I want to have my own little Hebrew baby. <laughs> and so um, Pharaoh's daughter goes along with it. She lets the baby go back with Jacobed, and so it's like everybody gets what they want in the end. Apparently, they have this brief introduction, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, take this child away. Nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And so not only is Moses spared, and not only are they relieved of this concern about uh, this little baby, but in addition, you got to imagine, 
how tough things were financially, mm-hmm. how strapped mm-hmm. the this slave couple was. Yeah. And now, on top of everything, they get this bonus. They're going to get paid. She's going to get paid right. for doing what she would have done on her own anyway. That's right. Now, you say that he he's going to end up getting the best of both worlds. What do you mean by that? Well, on the one hand, he is in the lineage. He is in the of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a Hebrew. Mm-hmm. He is able to learn about who he is. He's special. Right. He's God's people. Right. He's a member of God's people. And because of this, this prepares him from a spiritual standpoint. But on the other end, we see that uh, growing up in Pharaoh's household, he's going to have everything he needs. He's never going to have to worry about food or clothing. He's always going to have the best of everything. He's going to get an education like he could probably have not gotten anywhere else in the world. Now, Egypt isn't at the top of the list today, we would say. But back then in ancient times, Mm -hmm. man, you know, they had everything. And educationally, their libraries and so forth, they were... um, they were at the top of the heat as heap as far as nations were were concerned, and so she he is going to have the advantage of learning from his mom about who he is and who God's people are and who God is, while at the same time having his physical, financial, and educational needs taken care of. You know, I imagine that his uh, training in Egypt is going to prepare him to lead two and a half, three million people into the desert and be able to organize in such a way. You, you can't do that without some sort of training or background. We don't know exactly what it was, but it seems like Providence, again, is going to use his education Oh yeah, so that he can be an effective leader. Oh, yes. And it also, I think, has to do with the timing of how things work out. Okay, so if it's us and we're going we're gonna to figure, okay, we want this Moses to lead them out of bondage. About how old are we going to? 30, 40, 50, something like that would be mm-hmm. good age for him to lead God's people and to confront Pharaoh. Well, the education that Moses received was very beneficial in many ways, but it probably made him also a little cocky <laughs> and a little arrogant. He, he's a member of Pharaoh's household. right? And so when circumstances present themselves, when he goes out to try to you know, start this um, protection and deliverance that he wanted to give for his people, they weren't ready for it. Right. And part of that was how he handled the situation. That's a good point. And so um, circumstances worked just the way God had them to work. And so he ended up not starting this journey until he was 80, and that provided plenty of time for him to mature and to grow in will, in uh, wisdom. Now, you're... You, you start to conclude this study with considering the massive amount of Scripture that Moses is responsible for, and he's going to be able to do that because of his training and education in Egypt. Can you take some time and, and talk about just exactly how important he is as a Bible writer? Yes. How easy it is, you're reading through Acts chapter 7, this, ster- this sermon that Stephen is giving and how uh, that he's going to be killed for giving to look over what we read in Acts 7, verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So what? Well, he is going to be taking on 
the Pharaoh, he's going to have to have some competence. He's going to need to have some education. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, the greatest work that he did, arguably, as far as we're concerned today, yes, he helped lead and preserve the nation and through whom the Messiah would come. But think about the Bible. Yeah. Now, the Bible's a big book. Mm -hmm. And there are about 40 different authors, you know, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. But Moses wrote more of the Bible than anyone else. And he's writing it while he's wandering around in the wilderness with these <laughs> ungrateful, difficult people. Right. And so he's going to have to have a lot of qualities. But one of the qualities he's going to have to have, he's going to have to have uh, an education. Go into that maybe just a little bit farther. I, I really like this information you have here, that just explaining uh, you know, his books versus the Apostle Paul's versus Luke's, etc. This information is pretty neat. I, I think it's fascinating. You think about it. Moses wrote Genesis, and that's 50 chapters long book. Right. Exodus, uh -huh. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's mm -hmm. no two or three page books. <laughs> There's a lot of writing there. Right. In fact, it's about 80,000 words and is about almost 20% of the entire Bible mm. Moses writes. Mm -hmm. When we think of in the New Testament, we think about the Apostle Paul. Man, he, he did a great work, and he did important he wrote 13 if you count hebrews 14 books right but when you add up the number of pages that that takes up in my bible it only comes to 72 pages that is still a lot of writing uh luke although he only wrote two books they're long books luke and acts right those come to 78 pages but moses writings take up 234 pages wow of the 1217 pages of my bible Mm. He had a lot of writing to do. You think about it. You think about writing a book today, mm -hmm. and that's a challenge. That's a great deal of work. I know you've put uh, some writings into print. I've done some little tiny things, and that takes a lot of work, a lot yeah. of time. But look about the materials that oh, they I had know. to work with, I know. the patience, the education. And so God providentially not only saved his life, not only saved the life of lives of God's people and brought them deliverance from the pharaohs but he used Moses through that special education that he that he derived from living in Pharaoh's household to write five of these critical books the law the Torah yeah. it's at this point that you kind of turn the lens off of Moses and onto us yes what would you say to us well, you think about this. God is using Amram and Jochebed. Right. God, of course, is using Moses. Uh -huh. But God is using Pharaoh's daughter. She wasn't thinking when she wakes up, I want to do everything I can to <laughs> please Jehovah God. No, she was being used as a tool. Right. Like a pawn and as part of God's plan. But think about you. Mm -hmm. Think about the role that you can play. If you are doing everything in your power to serve God. If God can use the wicked Pharaoh, mm -hmm. if God can use a pagan princess, mm -hmm. just think about how he could use you and in ways that you don't even know about. And some of the prayers that we're praying today, and some of them maybe a little bit more general, uh, maybe they're about our family or other people that we know, friends, people that we go to school with, those prayers providentially could be answered 
you know, like prayers that I pray for my children, hopefully one day grandchildren, those prayers could be answered after I'm long gone. Right. And so God's providence. Think about if we have the attitude that Isaiah had, here am I, send me, how much God can do through us. Not dragging us, kicking and screaming, <laughs> but because we want to serve him. And that brings me back to that scripture we noticed earlier in um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is such an encouraging chapter. And this is, these are some of the most encouraging words in the chapter. Mm -hmm. And we know, not we well, we wish, we hope, we think maybe, but we know that all things work together for good. Not everything that's going to happen is going to be good, but all things will work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Mm. Providence. Amen. Brother, if you don't mind, um, I've got a couple of questions okay. that are, semi-related to this that I think would be a good time to bring them up and uh, then we'll be I've kept you here over an hour I need to wrap up just because my legs are getting stiff <laughs> um, before I ask them though because of, of what this is this is pure and simple Bible and this podcast is attached to a website it's attached to workbooks I just like to share this about Providence in my life um, before we moved to Cambodia we had the plan to go as school teachers. And so we were going to kind of take care of our own needs financially and, um, you know, help the church as we worked. We were told that something that would increase our uh, resume, so to speak, would be a master's degree. And so I pursued a master's degree in literacy curriculum and instruction. I almost fall asleep just saying the name <laughs> of that. It's so boring. Yeah. Well, curriculum and instruction is just you're learning about how to make lesson plans, how to implement lesson plans, how to organize the standards that the state gives you, et cetera. So I completed that master's degree, and then we uh, started making plans to move to Cambodia. And wouldn't you know, the schools over there didn't want me because I had a wife and three children, and they would rather hire a single person hmm. than uh, me because then they'd have to fly my family there and a lot of the benefits that come you know, oh. the, the housing, et cetera. It was just not, wow. it wasn't going to be as uh, easy to get a job. Yeah. And so I thought, here I did, I pursue this master's degree for this exact purpose, and now I don't even get to do it? Well, thankfully, we spent some time with churches that helped support us so that I could preach full-time over there instead of teaching school. And wouldn't you know, we moved there and after six months I realized what they needed they needed a series of lessons that would help teach them about redemption about mm. the Bible and about the church and it was that curriculum writing and instruction that really helped me lay out what would become if you go to the website the redemption series the Bible series the church series yes those are all written with me in an open Bible, writing down standards. You know, what does God want me to know about redemption, about the Bible, about the church, taking those standards and organizing them into lessons, et cetera. So just in my life, the way providence works, that's been something I had, I, I had no desire or, or plan to have this type of ministry with those, with the podcast, with the YouTube and all that stuff that I do. But I'm you were ready. I'm thankful that the Lord used me for such a time as this. Well, I've always thought, wow, this is great work that you were doing, but now I know the rest of the story. <laughs> you had that training yeah. beforehand. Yeah. 
tra- I, training I didn't think I was going to, I thought it was wasted. You know, it's two years of education wasted, but it, God used it. Let me ask you this. Um, it's kind of related, but I think people might be wondering, how can I know the difference between providence and coincidence? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I was talking to one preacher I respect and love dearly and talking about the idea of this didn't seem like a coincidence. And he said, there's no such thing as coincidence. And maybe he was using <laughs> hyperbole. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't go that far, uh-huh. but I've noticed sometimes in my own prayer life that, wow, this is a amazing coincidence. And then I got to thinking, wait a minute, this fits according to something I've been praying. It wasn't the same way as like you read in Acts chapter eight with Philip and the eunuch, we read about the spirit's role and we read about the angel's role. It wasn't a matter of something like that happening directly, something that we could see that was, you know, God's direct hand. But uh, as far as I was concerned with the prayers that were being prayed, this appears, it remains to be seen if this will be the fulfillment of that, the answer to that prayer. But at least um, it was impressive to me. This looks like God's providence. And if we go through our lives, we've been Christians very long. We're amazed by some of the things that couldn't have just happened. Sure. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. if I can be mm-hmm. cliche yeah. with that. But let me ask this one. This is my final one. Um, I do have a lot of younger people that listen to this. So, you know, maybe they've gone through this experience recently. But what if I wanted to choose a college and I'm, you know, getting ready to graduate high school and I've got two or three and I think, well, how is how can I know God's will or how is God's providence going to help me choose the best school to go mm. to? We could really substitute any big life decision in there, but is it possible that God would providentially help us in that choice, or is this something where we make a choice and we lift up our hands and say, "Thy will be done"? What are your thoughts on that? Well, whenever we're wanting to do the Lord's will and we're thinking what is the Lord's will in this situation I think we are we are helping God to bring about what's best for us and so I think the first thought and it's such an important question is what's going to help me spiritually now I have these plans you may have these plans for the degree you're going to major your major and what you're going to get and what kind of job and all and Mm -hmm. that's all important but more important is making sure that all along the path that I'm growing closer to God. Right. And, you know, if you choose, well, I want to go off to a college or university that's uh, 150 miles, 250 miles away from a faithful congregation. Mm-hmm. You're, you're making it really difficult for the Lord to help you um, in what is the best plan for your life. Now, there may be a whole lot of different things where God could could help you the line of work and where you end up living but first you need to be thinking about where can i make sure i am spiritually strong and let that be the first uh question that you answer we talked about this earlier in the episode but um part of providence was your part in it and trying to accomplish the lord's will having faith and trusting and obeying him and not just waiting for something to happen to you so yeah I think that lines up. It's very congruent that even in these big life choices, you can do them, but your your primary question should be, how is this going to affect me spiritually? So thank you for that yeah. answer. If I may, I'd like to share a, a Bible verse where the Apostle Paul, I think, used providence, or he at least acknowledges 
providence. It's in the book of Philemon, chapter 1, uh, verse 17. He's talking about a slave who's run away, and then this slave mm-hmm. has come back to a Christian master. Right. And Paul is uh, giving a lot of reasons for why he should bring him back, but listen to his exact language in uh, this verse. Oh, it's verse 15. So it's chapter 1, verse 15. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a mm. slave, a beloved brother. Yeah. I like how he uses the word perhaps. Yes. Even Paul, in God's providences, he's, he's not willing to say it's coincidence. Mm-hmm. He is being humble about what God's plan is, and so he uses that phrase. You know, perhaps it happened for such a time as this to be a exactly. beloved brother. I like that verse. Nice. Would you have any closing thoughts or words of admonition for our listeners on providence before we end our time together? Well, I would just, you're talking about you have young people who are listening. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this when I was on here in the past, but, you know, if you're dating and you're getting to know, um, if you're a man, young women, and if you're a woman, uh, young men, it's kind of hard to figure out, even if you get better acquainted with them, well, is this the right one or is this mm-hmm. not the right one? All along in that, in that dating experience, continue to pray and ask the Lord to help you to find who is the best, who will make the best Christian spouse to help me get to heaven. Young people, she may be beautiful. She may be intelligent. Uh, he may drive a real nice car. His family may have a lot of money. There's all kinds of different things that may enter right. into your mind. Well, this is the right one. Right. But pray and keep praying for God to help you to find the spouse who can help you to make it to heaven. It was beautiful. And I want to echo those sentiments to our young people. Pray now. You know, don't be praying down the road, but you can pray for that right now, even if you're younger and not close to marriage. I know I pray for that for my kids. Yes. And they're they're nowhere near close to marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, before we leave, let's just once again bring up Let the Bible Speak. I'd like to, just as much as I can, uh, advertise that for you. So it's a website that, it's not primarily a website, it's a television program, but it, it has a website that's attached to it. Right, and you can go to the website, letthebiblespeak.com, and you can find the areas where the program's airing. So it may may well be that uh, in the 25, 26 stations that the program's airing now, you can watch it locally and and recommend it to others. But you can also go to the uh, website and just watch the videos. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it connects you to YouTube, so you can watch the YouTube videos. Right. Um, you can listen to the audio and on CDs, mm-hmm. or you can also uh, review the transcripts. And as far as studying a particular topic, I think that's really helpful. And then, of course, there's the Let the Bible Speak app, so you can get immediate access mm-hmm. to that same information. And one of the things that we have just in the last six months or a year, we've got where you can go on and you can search. And we're still developing that. But if you type in, for example, baptism, or if you type in uh, the church, or if you type in Ephesians, um, it will go, or Providence, it will, <laughs> it will direct you to the sermons right. that have that word or that topic in it. So take advantage of that ability. Excellent. Well, I hope people will go. I'll put it in my show notes as well on my website, just a, a link that can get people there. God bless you in your ministry. I look forward to future times where we get to work together. Thank you for coming in. Great.
Appreciate it. I want to thank Brother Brett for coming back into the studio. So thankful for him for all the good work that he does. And like we talked about in the episode, you can go to LetTheBibleSpeak.com and find a bunch of great information there. This program has been on the air for a long time. There's a great history to it. A lot of good preachers who've worked with it. And Brett's program or Kevin Presley's program at LetTheBibleSpeak.tv, there's just a, a lot of good preachers working with it, and I'm thankful for the work that they do. Until next week, you can go to the website that I operate, pureandsimplebible.com. And I'm so thankful for all of the opportunities I've had and the works that I've had that are available there for you to download and use absolutely free. And until then, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me. And-